You're listening to Data Unlocked, driving better marketing with better data. We're interviewing marketing leaders to discuss how they're using customer data to bring more deeply personalized experiences to market. This podcast is sponsored by Simon Data. We help marketers unlock their customer data to deliver a better customer experience at scale. You know, there's sort of four broad topics you know, I thought we could get into. And really the first is, is really this notion of being data-driven. And I think the Looker has put out a lot of, sort of seminal thought leadership around this stuff and it has done some, some fantastic work. But when I look at really some of the basic challenges we have in front of us, I mean, McKinsey had a survey like you know, two years ago, a little less than that. And, and two of the findings, one was that only 10% of organizations are able to track their data science efforts against measurable KPIs. And the second is only... 30% of enterprise CEOs believe that their analytical strategy actually aligns with their operational capabilities from a data perspective. Yeah, so I'm curious, what do those two stats mean for you and, and what do you see as challenges? No, those two stats actually almost perfectly summarize the challenge that people have. So I think the, the first thing I think is that when people talk about de- being data-driven, there's so much hype that comes through like the Gartners of the world and all these organizations that are like, you need data intelligence everywhere. And like machine learning is going to solve all problems. And people really have gotten into a state where they're just imagining data drivenness, just being like passive intelligence is running your business for you. And I think the reality of what being data driven is and the companies that I respect the most, and I think are doing it the best have taken a more incremental approach to doing it where The first thing is just you need to care about it. If the management team and the way that decisions are made are not done in a data-driven way, I think it's very hard for an organization to be data-driven. So if you have a dictatorial view of how decisions get made and it's always like the highest paid person type stuff, it's going to be really hard to be a data-driven company. Assuming that doesn't exist, I really feel like the most important thing is just getting the data that you need to make decisions and getting it into people's hands so that they can make slightly better decisions. And I know that sounds like the least ambitious form of being data-driven, but when you compare it to like the consumer world, like what is data-driven purchasing? It's comparison shopping so that when you go into the grocery store, you pull up the thing on Amazon and you've compared prices. Like I know that doesn't feel data-driven, but that is probably the most transformational data-driven decisions that people are making on a day-to-day basis. And I think similarly, organizationally, the way that a marketer does that is just which of my channels are performing better and then looking at that and actually making a change. And I I know that that, it works. No, it's, and, and I know that sounds obvious, but I think a lot of it is just institutionalizing this idea of I'm going to record something, I'm going to look at it, and I'm going to make a decision. So a CS team that wants to talk to their customers uh, and, and that's how they make the decision about who the important ones are, that matters. But it's let's record 10 metrics about what they're doing, create a really basic customer health score, and then stack rank them and make sure that we're spending extra time on the bottom ones. To me, those are the things that make people data-driven. And then what's underneath that is I need the data. It needs to get shaped and consumable for me. And then I need to use it. And I think it's those basics that people have almost run by and they're trying to jump to, I need a machine to tell me which customer's gonna churn. And I think that kind of thing is getting in the way of making people more data-driven. The basics are not getting focused on enough 
and people are hoping for these big transformational use cases. And I think that's how people improve it. Yeah. I mean, and this thing you said really resonates with me and that's, are, are you making people more data-driven or the organization more data-driven? And, and I think so, the, the challenge with so much data technology is it's so squarely focused on IT, on engineering, on data science. And you know, at the end of the day, you have to ask for so many business outcomes, what drives the boss? Is, is it the data or is it the intuition, the strategy, you know, and the creative instincts around, around the customer or you know, the business process or the brand or the opportunity? And our thesis is the latter. And if you can get to a 20% solution by putting some basic data in the hands of someone who can actually do something with it, oftentimes that's by far the best start. Exactly. Like I've been in a lot of scenarios personally as a data scientist where someone is looking for like a magical forecast that's going to solve a problem where a linear regression gets you 80% right. of the way there and you can get it done in an afternoon. What we need is people that understand when to deploy these tools, like what problems need data science and what problems need analytics and then actually getting the right people to go solve those different problems. I actually think one of the like really toxic point of views in Silicon Valley is that like, we'll throw data scientists at everything and it's always right. better when you might be better off buying software and doing analytics and handing it to domain expertise people that can accelerate that way faster than trying to find 10 data scientists from Stanford to go solve the problem. 100%, and by the way, riffing on this one example, one of the primary levers around success for this problem is something that involves a new process and, and it's never been measured before. What are you gonna tell the customers? How are you gonna frame it? Is it a pricing issue? Is it a usage issue? They don't understand the value issue. If you're not able to make those bets and place those hypotheses and then measure them, you, you can't do this stuff in a vacuum. That's exactly it. I, I think back to this example when I was at Hotel Tonight where we built this beautiful ARIMA model to forecast hotel prices because we were trying to figure out like what to price hotels at on different days. It was the heaviest data science I've done in my career right. from like technical complexity and it performed terribly. And we went and looked at it. <laughs> we we're just like, why is this doing so badly? And we found out that one of the main drivers of hotel room prices is when conferences are in town. Right. I know that's obvious. Like when Dreamforce happens, it affects San Francisco hotel prices. If that's not in your forecast data set, right. it's pointless to build a nice model. So what we actually needed to do was build a process to understand the levers that weren't in our data set yep. and make data so that we could use a more naive forecasting. So we ended up with a logistic regression, but we ended up with a new business process around flagging events. Yep. And it's that is data driven to me. It's not smarter. It's applying the concepts better. I'm a data guy, right. but I, for the most part, hate managing projects to metrics. And the reason I hate that is because unless the project is really explicitly trying to move a metric, like the types of examples that you gave around like self-driving car errors, or like, honestly, a web funnel is a good example. Right. When I'm trying to get someone through a web funnel, I'm literally trying to move a number. I don't care about anything else. Right. But if I'm building a new feature in my product that is about like an experience or something like that, and I try to attach metrics to that, myopically in a way that my whole performance is evaluated by this metric and the metric doesn't actually represent what I want the user to do, then data driven in a way that's actually taking away from the problem. Like I'm not using it in the context of the metric. I'm using it to drive a decision in and of itself. We're always coming back to the same thing here. You need to understand your data and you need to understand when to use it and what it represents and when not to use it and what it doesn't represent. 
And I think that is like what great data-driven decision-making equally throwing out data that you have that doesn't advance the decision that you're trying to make. Got it. So, so I guess my next set of questions, we covered some of it already. Obviously we're focused on, on marketing outcomes, yep. but I know Looker and Looker platform and thinking about you know, the divide between operational and analytical applications is a set of mind for you guys. Outside of marketing applications, what are some of the other super interesting areas that you're looking at around the stuff? Yeah, we touched on it a little bit, but I, I love the application of data for customer success and support. I think they're almost the perfect example of these areas that have wanted magic. I want to read my support tickets and be able to analyze the text on them and understand them. And there's the draw to that side of the problem. But the real problems I think there tend to be actually about data integration, pulling data from multiple sources, understanding what the customer is actually trying to do, and taking all this information and contextualizing it into solving a problem. So I, I think what's become interesting is that we have all of these different ways that we're understanding how people are using data. Right. And a lot of the challenge is integrating them all together, but actually understanding what you want the customer to do with your data. On one side, I, I, I feel like marketing has this really clear objective function. We're trying to spend money to get leads right. and it's this very linear function of, I'm trying to get more leads for cheaper. But and the I objective function on bad experiences is not obvious. Exactly. And, and I think that's what makes it interesting is that you need to contextualize like what makes a customer churn or not churn. Right. And ultimately you have that metric at the end, like you're trying to retain right. revenue. Well, after it's too late. Exactly, <laughs> at least in SaaS companies, there are all these different metrics that some are quantifiable, some are not. And it's it's like this very interesting analytics problem where you need to understand qualitative and quantitative and you need to use data, but you don't need to use it too much. And it requires a lot of domain expertise. And ultimately it's just humans talking to humans. Those right. are the real levers. And, and I think that there's just a lot that can be done to improve that and help people that don't consider themselves technical. I, I think a lot of people in customer support or customer success are like, I'm in a non-technical role or something like that. Yeah. But data enabling those people right. has unlocked so much value and given them superpowers to do more things. How are leading brands using data to bring more deeply personalized experiences to market? Find out on Data Unlocked, driving better marketing with better data. You can listen to more episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Simon Data. We help marketers unlock their customer data to deliver a better customer experience at scale. So, yeah. yeah. It's super interesting because there are multiple dimensions here. The first is just developing that objective function that can gauge the severity of a problem. Because you ask anyone customer support, what's worse, X or Y or Z, they'll be like, they're all fucking terrible. Because that's the nature of the job. And yeah, that's number one. Number two, really just existentially hard problems in, in, in making sure that you're tracking the right data. One of our early use cases was thinking about weblog data in 404s and you know, identifying customers who actually hit an error page and then you know, having remediations around that and whatever that might be. And that's proactive. Ultimately, if you don't have visibility into when the users are, are hitting a 500 or a 404 or whatever, then you're gonna have, you have to wait for them to come and then you're gonna be confused about what happened. And then there's the operationalizing that whole pipe once it's working so you can actually plug it into your customer support function. But 
you know, it's, it's interesting. It's just today I'll send you an article right after this. I was talking with a, a reporter at Forbes, this guy, Adrian Swinsco, and he has this notion, this thing he calls the messy middle. It's not just a data issue, but it's also a process and organizational issues that arise when customer experiences go sideways because the areas of the business that can understand the problem and the areas of the business that can actually operationalize the problem are too disconnected. Yep. So with CX, it's, you know, someone calls in and complains that their package wasn't delivered because of whatever reason. Do they actually have the right escalations, remediations, and, and tooling in place? And you know, yes, someone in the business knows what's going on, but the person feeling it does has no idea what's going on. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And what I love about that example, and this is where it ties back to data, is one of these concepts I really love is taking an anecdote about a customer experience and then backing it into a metric that helps you understand that type of experience. So I, I think of this example, like Venmo did a talk with us a while ago. Hmm. This is like maybe seven or eight years ago. So like way back in Looker's uh, history, they did an app redesign and they had two buttons. Like one was to pay and one was to receive money. So you could send someone like money or you could send them a thing to receive money. They did a redesign and they were able to capture this metric that was people that paid and then immediately requested 2X the money back. So like they created this perfect, like I had a bad experience metric right, that they right. could track. They use it the wrong and way. They were like, <laughs> and, and then they were like, the app right. tripled this experience. They did a redesign and fixed it. And it like, to me, that is like perfect data-driven operations, yep. which is I took an anecdote, I'm yeah. able to quantify it in a way that's meaningful that I can tell a story with, and then I go optimize this micro metric and move on. And they don't need to track that metric forever because it doesn't matter. But those I think are the really magical, like data-driven experiences right. that I see. Like we did another example of this with Hotel Tonight where our CEO was traveling and he noticed he opened the app in a city that we hadn't launched yet. And it was just like, there's no hotels. Right. So we we're like, oh, that is a bad experience. It'd be weird to download the app and then be like, hey, there's nothing here. Can we quantify it? So like we did that, we quantified it, we put them on a map, we could target clusters of them. We could track the, the drop in that. And we had this bad experience metric that we could shrink to zero. And I just, I think those are beautiful cases of being data-driven because right. yep. they're not global, but they perfectly measure like this really specific experience and you can control them. Yep. And I feel like that's the holy grail of the whole thing. Great, so let's go to question number three here. We built a, a special purpose tool for a, a specific set of applications. Looker is a generalized tool for BI and analysis, all their next generation data pipes downstream from there. But the question, when you look at one, two, three, five years and think how data systems need to evolve to fully enable you know, teams you know, and functions to be data-driven, what are some of the, the qualities that you see and, and the trends that you see? Yeah, this is a tough one because in Looker, I think we always had this ambition to push into all these verticalized spaces and be broad across everything and then also have these super deep verticals where we do everything. And I think ultimately it's really hard to do both well. We're gonna end up with, it's ironic that we're at Google now because Google is the Looker where <laughs> it's broad and it works well for a lot of different use cases. If you wanna search for retail and do the Amazon thing, it's good for that. If you want to use a map, it's good for that. If you want to find information, it's good at that. But it's not specifically great at any one of those things. Um, so if you want to do retail search, Amazon is better. So I kind of view there are going to be these big horizontal players like Lookers that are shallow and broad, and their value is in breadth and sort right. of network effects. Looker's superpower ultimately is when we're connected to 55 different types of data, 
and we can draw inferences across them and help many people collaborate around these specific things. What we're not as good at is that if a marketer has a domain specific problem and they need that wrapped in UI and experience and expertise that does that thing, you need to deliver them more than a sort of a broad thing that can do everything. Google search results are great until you type in $50 Nike size 10. And it's just, it's not mm. built for that. You need to go to a, a retail site that does that specifically to solve that user's problem. And I think it's been interesting because in the consumer land, even like the Ebays and the Amazons of the world are getting unbundled into like the stock X's for shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just saw one for like cards and memorabilia. Similarly, there's always this tension in data between like heavy, deep verticalized tools and broad, wide tools. Right. And I do think that a lot of the deeper verticalized products that can draw on some of the things that the broad tools did well or work with them really closely can provide more value to their end user. The tension that they run into, I think, is that you always have this pull towards being more broad over time. So I look at CS tools, for example, I hate to beat this one to death, but if you want to understand your account, you need internal data, you need maybe marketing data, you need ops data, you need support data. You're starting to talk about every single type of data a customer has. And I think that's why Looker has done really well in CS use cases, because mm -hmm. the breadth helps. And if you're rebuilding a verticalized BI tool that's just a BI tool, the BI layer has an advantage because of our breadth. Right. You can put a circle nicely around the problem, and I think marketing is a good example of this. You can deliver a more comprehensive, more complete experience. You don't need as much of the product analytics to help a marketer spend the money back. But I think the, the tools in those places are going to be more sort of centralized and important. I think the question I have is how will these tools work together? You're going to have the broad tool and you're going to have the verticalized tools. And I think in the past, they've almost been fighting each other. Right. If you use some sort of sales analytics product, it doesn't want to work with your BI tool because it wants to own the sales analytics stack or something like that. I see the world moving forward as a more modular version of that. So you're going to have a broad thing and the other things will sit on top and interface with them much more effectively, but still absorb more of the use case. Maybe talking my book there because we think that we're an important piece of the layer, but I think that makes more sense because rather than essentially throwing out the whole stack to build these verticalized pieces, you're relying on portions of it, but essentially enriching it. And there's actually more back and forth with that type of tool than saying like throughout the database, I'm going to be my own database and be a monolithic product, but there's always the tension of controlling the experience and how much of the layer that you want to own. Yeah, no, totally. And then actually the last question we touched on a little bit, and getting back to the previous question you said before around, you know, what are some of the end applications around BI? It's a lot of stuff around logistics and supply chain. A friend of mine is, is doing a startup called Singuli, and they're just focusing on demand planning for e-commerce. So like how many size seven pink high top should you get for your, your business? Well, it depends on how many you sold last year and it depends on you know what their you know aggregated data says and they can you know, whatever, you know, reduce your sellout rates and you know, optimize the supply. That's a, a relatively scoped data problem. It's highly operational in nature. One of the challenges with you know, D2C in particular, especially e-commerce D2C is, is, is the products themselves are getting so commoditized. Yeah, you can, 
build anything in China from the exact same factory. The customer experience, the brand is more and more becoming like the defining factor, which just forces the savviest brands to just mush everything together and have just insanely tight coordinated experiences at, at the tremendous cost of, of operational complexity and system complexities. Yeah, it's been funny to watch the evolution in some of these spaces. Like I always remember people beating the D2C companies when they started launching retail stores and they acted like it was something like brand new and awesome. And they're like, wait, so all you are is just an omni-channel retailer now but with a different brand. A lot of it, the way that we think about it is just what is your actual competitive advantage? And I think the interesting thing that software has unlocked, it's let people focus on many fewer things when they're company building. So like I saw so I saw a Twitter thread about this yesterday. You can outsource so many things that you're building that starting a company you can just only do the thing that you are amazing at. And I think that has been the learning as we've built out Looker. What do we really care about and what are we really good at? How do we peel away the focus on things that we're not good at so that we can be better at the thing that we are really good at? It's, it's even funny to reflect. In the past, Gartner has just really not necessarily bought into our vision for how the product works. They've asked us for more intelligence, and they always talk about natural language generation and things like that as one of their big things now. The message is always data is commoditized. Every BI player is the same. And it's really funny because when we talk to our customer, no one thinks that. None of our customers think what we do is commoditized because this really important subtle layer in the middle about the data model and connecting to the database and the API extensibility, these three things that we hold really dear to how we build the company have let us just focus on doing those three things really well. Yeah. And yeah, sort of no. everything else melts away. I feel like that is what's really important when you're thinking about buying software and building things is just like, mm-hmm. what do I have time to really think and care about? 100%. So that's everything in my questions I put down. This was a great chat. This was great. I I enjoyed it. You've been listening to The Data Unlocked, driving better marketing with better data. You can listen to more episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Simon Data. We help marketers unlock their customer data to deliver a better customer experience at scale.